so Mike has asked me uh, before he um, does his sermon that uh, he, that I would read uh, one of the parables that Jesus taught in Matthew 18. So if you guys want to flip there, you don't have to, but it's Matthew 18, um, verses 21 through 35. So it's the very last section of Matthew 18. Uh, this is the par- uh, parable of the unforgiving servant. And it goes like this, verse 21. Then Peter approached him and asked... Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you not. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Uh, That sets a mood, doesn't it? If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to spend our time in one verse in Matthew 6 this morning as we continue not only our studies through the Sermon on the Mount, but we continue the Lord's Prayer. There ought to be, as you're turning there, a sense of horror, I think, when we see the situation as much as we, we, we could imagine ourselves being in that situation of watching somebody come up to someone who owes them something and start choking them out. I mean, that would be kind of a, a, a rattling thing to see if you saw it happen in a public place. But when we hear the part of that parable which Jesus used to illustrate the attitude towards forgiveness that he wanted Peter and the rest of us to have, the part where the servant, after being forgiven 20 years' worth of wages by the master, he was forgiven a 20 years' worth of wages debt. That's an insurmountable amount of debt to pay back. He finds and chokes and imprisons a fellow servant for not paying back one day's wage, which is a very reasonable, reasonable amount of money to pay back to somebody. The comparison is astronomical. The harshness of the servant towards his fellow servant is all the more deplorable because of the amount that was forgiven 
and because of the one who forgave it. The amount that was owed to the master was such a massive amount, and it was the master who forgave, the one who had authority, the one who had superiority, forgave the one who owed and who he rightfully could have punished. The debt of his fellow servant owed to him, as it goes down with the two servants, was incomparably less, and servant unto servant. In other words, they were equals. They stood on equal ground. The lesson is clear, I think, that God forgives the repentant, and the repentant must forgive others. Therefore, those who don't show mercy and forgiveness to their fellow servants are not truly submitted to the master. Forgiveness doesn't earn our salvation. It's the natural product of our salvation. In other words, when I'm truly saved, I recognize how much has been forgiven me, and it makes me a forgiving person. It changes my mindset. It changes the position of my heart towards others. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to pray. He's teaching us how to address the Father, how to cry out to Him, how to honor Him in that prayer. And in this week's passage, He reveals to us how forgiveness is essential to our prayer lives and must be characteristic of every single one of us. Forgiveness is a must for a believer. Because when it's not, it shows a flaw in our relationship with the Father. It shows a break in our relationship and our syncope or synchrony with the Father. We have been poured out upon by him. He has poured out his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness upon us. It must flow not only through us, but out of us for us to be authentic believers. As you may have guessed, as you probably often guessed before coming for Sermon on the Mount messages, none of this is easy. None of us have this down pat. And I wager to say that the majority of us this morning are having struggles forgiving someone that we're really wrestling with it there's someone in your heart maybe maybe there's a whole list of people that you're having a hard time forgiving that you're holding grudges against this is not a message of condemnation this is a message of freedom this is a message of how to be free from that because whether we realize it or not that bitterness is tearing us apart that lack of forgiveness wrecks our souls. So let's connect the parable that we just heard read to Matthew chapter 6 and talk about forgiveness that should flow. Let's look at verses 11 and 12 together because it kind of gives us the, the flow of the context. And I think that this is not a coincidence by any means that Jesus says what he says in verse 11 going into verse 12. And so in Matthew 6 verses 11 and 12, Jesus teaching us how to pray says this, as we pray to the Father, give us today, verse 11, our daily bread. And then verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we, have, as we also have forgiven our debtors. John Stott wrote that forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is for the body. Forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of the soul as food is for the body. Just as we need daily bread for survival, our souls need forgiveness, not only to be forgiven, but to be giving that forgiveness. To be pouring that out of our lives. Far too often, church, we become a people who 
intake so much spiritual food. I mean, there's so many opportunities now, isn't there? There's podcasts, there's television, there's radio. There's so many opportunities for us to ingest spiritual teaching and wisdom and for us to hear all these things about God, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace. And we're like, oh, I'm just basking in the love. And then we go out throughout that week and we don't reflect one bit of it. We don't pour out or expend any of that. And it's not meant to be kept inside of you. I don't know if you know this, but just like food, if it doesn't come out, you have a problem. If all you do is intake, you're going to have an issue. And you're like, oh, Mike's being gross again. Boy, that took three minutes. No, no, no. I'm just being realistic with you. It's something that we all share. If, it, if we don't put out things from our bodies that come in, we explode. It's not a healthy situation. And when we have spiritual input, spiritual food being poured into us, we need to put that out. We need to let that come out of our lives. It can't just stay within us. And forgiveness is no different. And it's so vital and it's so important that Jesus made sure to cover it in prayer. That we should be crying out to God, forgive us our debts, even as we have forgiven our debtors. It's important to notice that Jesus uses the word debt here. Debt is a very important word. He doesn't use the word wrongs. He says debt. Our righteous lives. Church, we have to recognize where we start from. Our righteous lives are what God deserves and expects. He expects and deserves righteousness from people, from his creation, because he made us for good works. He made us to be righteous, and we tainted that with what? Sin. Do you know what another word for debt is? Sin. Sin is debt. It's equated with sin whenever you hear debt, and in that we failed to live righteous lives, thereby incurring a sin debt that must be paid for with our death. We failed to be righteous. We've incurred a debt that we cannot repay, and therefore we must die for that. There's no product or work that we can do to pay it back, just like the servant in the parable who owed 20 years' worth of wages. He can't pay that back. He's in over his head. He's upside down. I'll use all the, you know, Dave Ramsey would be like, this guy's in big trouble, right? Think of all the things that we connect with in the financial world. This guy's in big, big trouble. He's not going to be able to do this. He needs forgiveness of his debt. The idea of the parables that the debt was unpayable, we can't earn enough wages, but it's interesting that the wages that we have earned in this life through our sin by incurring that debt have given us something so wonderful, so gracious. Paul talks about it in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Do you know what you get for all that sin? Death. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says that debt that you owed, that sin that you could never repay, God has forgiven in Christ Jesus. Do we grasp that? Have we taken hold of that? Has that changed us on a moment-by-moment basis? Because if it has, we respond to people very differently. The transformational power of God's forgiveness of our debt should change how we drive. I'm serious. It should change how we drive. It should change how we speak. 
It should change how we act and how we work and how we, how we go about our daily lives. It transforms every bit of us. Now, I always bring up driving because I have been with people in all situations of life, and I see this more common than in any other way, that they are Christian most of the time until they're behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> and then it's all out the window. I don't have to obey any laws. I don't have to like anybody. I can cut people off. I can... And I'm all day long, and I'm fine. I'm completely fine because I'm behind the wheel of a car. I don't have to be a Christian anymore. This transforms every part of our life. And when was the last time that you were super forgiving towards someone who was really rude to you in traffic? I'm sure you're in a hurry. And I know you need to get where you're going sooner than I do. I guess <laughs> usually a fish cutting you off. Uh, oh, yeah, that's real Christian. To which he gets around, like, you're being real Christian, too. <laughs> the Father's righteousness, you guys. <laughs> Lord, help us. I like poking those little pressure points. You know, like, yeah, you come in here all cleaned up, like, Michael, never know that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Yes, I do. And you know that I am, too. We have to address this. Stop making excuses for it. We hee-hee-ha-ha about it. But we're laughing because it's true. We aren't that forgiving, are we? I think the two hardest situations to, to forgive people are in traffic and in family. It's hard. It's, re it's really hard. It's personal. You guys, the Father's righteous wrath against sin was aimed at us because of our failure God's righteous wrath was aimed at us because of our failure, and the Father wouldn't allow it to end that way. The Father took action. Jesus didn't step in the gap to protect us from God. A lot of times we misunderstand the wrath of God. You're like, okay, Jesus is the softer side of Sears. He's the one that likes me. God's the one that hates me. And the Spirit's just kind of the one that gives me strength. That's a total misunderstanding. The Godhead is unified in purpose and in mission. God loved you so much that he sent the Son to assuage his wrath, to bear his wrath so that it wouldn't fall upon you and me. He was God's plan from the beginning to save us from ourselves. We cannot separate the love of Christ from the love of the Father. They are the same. And all of this comes into play with our understanding of how important and transformational forgiveness is. That forgiveness was something that God knew he was going to have to do from the beginning of time. And that it was his plan to forgive us in Christ. That he took action and intentionally sacrificed so that forgiveness could be had for us. John Flavel was a Puritan preacher. He said, remember that this God in whose hand are all creatures is your father and is much more tender of you than you are or can be of yourself. God is more tender of you than you could ever be of yourself. How many of you, please don't raise your hands. How many of you are guilty of beating yourself up? <laughs> you raised your hand. <laughs> okay me too how many of us beat ourselves up for things that we do or don't do for things we say or don't say for something I should have done back then but I didn't do parents let me just hit it how many of us are beating ourselves up over where our kids are your father is more tender of you than you are or ever can be of yourself Read Psalm 139. 
His thoughts for you, his love for you is overwhelming. The psalmist reflects in Psalm 130, verses 3 through 4, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? I'd tap out, I'd be done. He says, but with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. There is forgiveness in God so that his name is honored and feared. Not in a, "Ah," but in a, wow, that's power. Jesus, the fullness of God's forgiveness was the gift, the tenderness, the physical embodiment of grace and truth. If grace and truth put on a human body, it was Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Full of these things. Romans 5 8, God proves his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This should excite us, church. Amen? This is the good news of the gospel for you and me. This is what gives us the ability to stand. This is what cleanses us of our sin. A.W. Tozer wrote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And how many of us think of wrath? How many of us think he's disappointed? How many of us think that he's angry? We should think of Jesus slain on the cross in our place. That is the love of God for you. That is his care for you. And why am I going on about this in the conversation of forgiveness? Because if we don't understand the work of Jesus on the cross in our place, we cannot understand how to forgive somebody else. We cannot understand that unless we understand what it costs God to save us from our sin, that he has forgiven us even while we were trespassers and sinners and horribly standing against him. He proved his love and Christ died for us then, not when I got my act together. And how many of us look at other people and go, I'll forgive you when you get your act together, then we'll be fine. I was holding a grudge this week against somebody who didn't have their act together. And the Lord hit me with this so hard that I had to sit and cry about how wretched and sick and twisted I am because I'm not living in the forgiveness of Christ to the point where it's transforming the way I see other people. It's changing the way that I see them. If he loves them that much, he is righteous. I am not. I'm a servant standing on equal ground. He is the master forgiving the 20 years of wages for this person. And I can't forgive him for one day. What we think about God, what I think about him, is the most important thing about me because it changes the way I live. It doesn't save me. Jesus saves me. What I think about God changes the way I live out my life, the things I say, the things I do. If we reflect on the truth of his word, that the Father loves us so much that he forgave us our sins. We have to do this first because if I don't embrace Jesus first, if I don't embrace his love for me first, if I don't embrace all of his forgiveness and his comfort and his grace in my own life, then I won't be able to embrace those who have wronged me. I won't be able to forgive those who have wronged me if I can't come to the place where I have accepted his forgiveness for me. When we have done that, we have accepted 
his forgiveness and that it flows through us and it comes out of our lives, things change. Our attitude towards others change. Notice the way Jesus says it in Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Past tense. Present tense in the first sentence. Forgive us our debts. Present as we also have forgiven, past tense, our debtors. You see, the act of salvation has changed us into forgiving people. And if it hasn't, we misunderstand our salvation. We misunderstand the power of Christ in us. When we pray and ask the Father to forgive us, it is to be from the position of already forgiving our debtors. And this is something we should pray every day. Lord, forgive me. That's that confession that John talks about in 1 John chapter 1. When he says we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's that continual confession. You're not getting reborn again, again, and again, and again every day. You are confessing sin because you are still a fleshly human being that fails. Jesus paid for that. And so my prayers to God of confession and heal me and and forgive me are continual but they should come from a position of me having already forgiven those around me forgiving others doesn't mean that we will then be forgiven by God that's works based that's not what he's saying at all Rather, when I received the forgiveness of God through salvation in Christ, the byproduct of that salvation is an awareness of the enormity of my debt, which dwarfs the debt of any other person against me with no comparison. Did you catch that? The enormity of what I've been forgiven transforms everything about me when it comes to the wrongs that others have committed against me. If I understand what I've been forgiven, forgiveness is an automatic from me towards everyone else. And when it doesn't happen, I have a lack of understanding of what Christ has forgiven me for. If God has forgiven me in this way, I'm empowered by his spirit. He doesn't leave us alone. I'm empowered by his spirit. I can in no way hold on to bitterness and resentment for being wronged by anyone. To be bitter is to ignore the waterfall of grace that God pours out on us all day, every day. You are ignoring the grace of God to hold on to bitterness. Now, we all are guilty of it. We all are guilty of it. And I'll say it again because I said it before. This is in no way condemning. It's opening our eyes to freedom. Because Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary, in Matthew chapter 11, and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, I'm lowly of heart. I'm gentle. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think that Jesus identified the condition of his heart as gentle and lowly? How approachable is gentle and lowly? Arrogant and haughty is hard to approach. It's hard to talk to. It's not God. He identifies those things as sin. And so why don't we approach Jesus with these struggles? You realize that when we recognize a flaw in our forgiveness, that our forgiveness is not flowing, that he's calling us to himself who is gentle and lowly of heart. And he says, you look tired. 
You look weary, you look burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. It's easy, it's light. Does that mean your life is easy and light? No. It means that to be in the presence of the Lord is to understand forgiveness and to live in it and to let it flow out of us. No one on this earth has owed me a debt even comparable to the debt I owed the Father, and he has forgiven me, and he has forgiven you because of Jesus, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If we're to pray this prayer that Jesus is teaching us, we must be a people who have forgiven our debtors. Did you notice that? It's a prayer that we're praying as we have already, as we have forgiven our debtors. You're praying to God that you've already done this. Do you realize that's kind of a disqualifying thing to the Lord's prayer if you haven't forgiven? Because you're being inauthentic, you're lying if you haven't. This, God's not leaving us room here to wiggle around this. You can't pray these words authentically without having already done it, without having already forgiven. Consider Matthew 18, which Christian read at the open of our study. Some rabbis in Jesus' time, they would require their students to forgive offenders three times. They're like, okay, you forgive them three times. Fourth time, they're done. That's it. You can cut them off. You can not forgive them. You can condemn them. That was the teaching of the rabbis, the spiritual religious teachers of the day. You could find people that will teach you that today as well. Peter was being generous by asking if seven was enough. We give Peter a hard time, right? We're like, Peter shows up and says seven. Boy, he didn't see that coming. He was being generous. Peter was more than doubling the number of many of the rabbis at that time were teaching. Peter was like, should I do it this many times, Lord? It's like, it's like a kid coming to their dad and being like, is this good? How about this? And he's like, let, let me show you something a little bit deeper. I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. And I, I joke about this all the time. Peter didn't have to go do the math and then start keeping better track. Oh, we better get a record book here because we've got to keep really good track of this. The point is made through the parable that follows, right? Understand the amount of debt here. Understand that in comparison to what this person owes you and forgive. Let it go. Let it go. Jesus' point is that for forgiveness is a lifestyle, a spring of water that never runs dry. This is the nature of God, to offer forgiveness uninhibited for those who are willing to come to him. Unlimited, uninhibited, letting forgiveness flow, letting things go. You guys, we are holding things against people right now. It's time to let it go. It's time to be free of the bitterness. It's time to be free of those wrongs. Forgive. I promise you, when we forgive, our soul's health improves immediately. Forgiveness, as I've thought about this in the past and very intentionally over the last week, forgiveness is difficult because I think that as a younger person, I used to think that forgiveness was something that I just needed to do and that I hadn't done it right before. So my pastor at certain times as when I was growing up would say, we're going to go, oftentimes it was around communion, which we're going to be taking communion in a moment. Um, but around communion, you'd say, if there's any bitterness, if there's anyone you haven't forgiven, this is a time to come and, and ask for forgiveness and to forgive people and let that flow out of you. What's interesting is I used to come with the same person. Every time. 
And I, I used to think that I, I guess I haven't let this go because it's still bothering me. Instead of thinking of rhythms of forgiveness that should flow from us because our flesh is going to try and bring up bitterness and bring back these things that we thought we were done with. Ever thought you were done with something and it resurfaced even years down the road? I thought I was done with that. We have to get into the practice of continually forgiving continually confessing. It's something that we never cease to do because people who are seeking to be humble before God are continually being made aware of their sin because the closer you get to light, the more it reveals. The closer we get to God, the more I'm becoming aware. That's why Paul called himself the chief of sinners. You're like, Paul, whatever. You see, Paul was getting close enough to the Lord to where that light was revealing the cracks, the details. By the way, as we draw close to the Lord in our proximity, in confession and humility, we understand even more the power of his forgiveness. It helps in that same way. What we really need is closeness to God. What we really need is intimacy with God. We need his light to shine upon us. We need to get into rhythms of confession and repentance and forgiveness to where it's something we are continually doing. It doesn't mean that we don't address things. Jesus covered that in Matthew chapter 18 before. We address things when people do things that are wrong. It doesn't mean that you just sit there and just keep taking ill treatment and I, just, I guess I have to forgive and just... We, we, we call sin what it is. We deal with those issues. But so many times we use the lack of repentance on the other person's part to justify our bitterness. Do not use the lack of repentance on someone else's part to justify your bitterness. The Lord doesn't give you room for it. You have to let it go. It's hurting you. It's destroying your soul. I'm going to have the worship team come up. As we take communion this morning, stay, stay locked in with me, please. As we take communion this morning, this is the perfect opportunity to address these things in our own hearts, but in a corporate setting. I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to pray with someone if you need to. If you need to pray with somebody, go sit and pray with them. Maybe, I mean, we, we, we sit so many times in a church service and we feel like there's rules. There are some. I really don't want anyone rolling around on the floors, barking like dogs or anything like that. But a lot of times we're like, well, I can't go over and pray with this person or I can't, I can't respond in the way that I need to. I can't get to my knees somewhere. Yes, you can. If you need to get to your knees to pray and worship, you need to do that. Don't be a distraction. Don't draw attention to yourself, but do what is necessary to position yourself in a place of repentance before God. Maybe you can do that sitting in a chair. Maybe you need to go to someone in this room right now. Maybe you're sitting next to them and say, I've been holding some bitterness and I forgive you. Confess things to each other. Get that stuff out in the open. Release that bitterness. As we take communion, I want you guys to do that before. I want you to take time to do that before. To take a moment to pray. The table's in the back. Um, the elements are there. What you're going to be able to do is just take the elements as we start to praise and as we start to worship and sing. You can take the elements and just take communion between you and the Lord at, in your own time. Because you recognize that we are remembering 
the work of the gospel in our lives, the body that was broken, the blood that was shed for me, and that I needed that sacrifice for God to forgive me. I needed Jesus to be forgiven by the master. And then directionalize that, Lord, allow me to forgive. Allow me not to harbor bitterness. Take communion on your own. You can go back and get it in your own time and take it in your own time. We're going to take some time to sing. But as we close, would you pray with me? And I'm actually going to read a prayer from St. Francis of Assisi. He actually prayed this amazing prayer in conjunction with the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer. And it's a responsive prayer. And I'm just going to have you guys just bow your heads and, and close your eyes only for the sole purpose of just listening to what he wrote and then we will worship together he wrote this Lord make me an instrument of your peace where there is hatred let me sow love where there is injury pardon where there is doubt faith where there is despair hope where there is darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life.